God? I thought you were just. How could this have happened? I didn't do anything wrong. Why is this happening to me? I thought God was supposed to reward good people and punish bad people. God, if you're good, why am I suffering like this? Good morning. I'm very glad you're here. I count it a privilege to be able to get in the Word together with you as we go through God's Word, and He speaks to our hearts this morning. Amen? So we're going to be in Job 32 through 37. I hope that you're reading ahead. There's a reading plan for the next two studies. You can read each, each day a little bit from the pastor we'll be going through. So I'm not going to wrap up today in the other ones, but just to say this, last week we, we started into these monologues. There are three of them. And last week it was Job. And in Job's monologue, it, we, we find him answering this question. He's asking the question, where can wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? So really the book's driving us because this uh, book of Job is an invitation to trust the wisdom of God in all the complexities of life, that God knows what he's doing. Would you say amen to that? God knows what he's doing, and how he does that, we really can't know unless we know him, first of all. And even with that, there comes these, what I would call, what's called in theology, the hiddenness of God. I'm going to talk about that uh, in the next couple of studies. That why is it that God seems hidden? There's a very, some very important things we're going to talk about. So Job, in monologue one, is answering that question. He's trying to seek for that answer, what that means. So that was last week. Next week, we get... God's monologue, and I think it's always good for God, to give God a monologue. Can I hear it? Amen. Let him have the last word. So in Job 38, 36, God's asking the rhetorical question, who has put wisdom in the mind? Answer is God. Who, or who has given understanding to the heart? Answer is God. So next week, if you'll read ahead to those chapters, we'll get into that next week. This week, we're looking at Elihu. This is young guy who's now going to speak up. He's been quiet the whole time, but now he's going to speak up. And I'd like to read just a couple verses, if you would, in your Bible. Go to Job 32, verse 9, and then we'll look at a couple in, in chapter 33. We'll pray, and then we'll get into it. So in, ja in Job 32 and verse 9, Elihu says this, Great men are not always wise, wisdom, nor do the aged always understand justice, understanding. Therefore, verse 10, I say, listen to me. I also will declare my opinion. Indeed, I waited for your words. I listened to your reasonings while you searched out what to say. So Elihu now is going to speak up. Chapter 33, similar. In verse 31 of chapter 33, Elihu says, Give ear, Job, listen to me. Hold your peace and I will speak. If you have anything to say, answer me, speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me, hold your peace, and I will teach you wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. You are an all-wise God. And we want to, Lord, understand better and better what it means to have a successful relationship with you, as we did last week, talking about the fear of God, keeping your commandments. So, Lord, I pray your blessing over the word as I prepared it. Break it fresh, Lord. We're hungry. Feed us. We know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We know that to build our lives on a rock means to not only hear, 
but to then do what you've called us to do. So give us responsive hearts to the word today. Bless, nor the things I prepared now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I found it very interesting that in these chapters, this whole idea of listen to me comes to the forefront. Elihu says it several times, 10 that I can count, and otherwise alluding to it. If you go through the rest of the book of Job, you'll find this whole idea only five times. So there's a real emphasis with Elihu on saying, listen to me. I've heard what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I know what you're saying, but now it's my turn to speak, so listen to me. So here's where I want to start with this whole idea of when people don't get it, and that's going to happen all the time. If they haven't gone through it, in fact, in our experience, we're, we are both foster care parents and adoptive parents, and we now understand that, but we're not orphans. We don't understand. We don't get that. So often when things are going on, people aren't going to get it, and I think we need to understand that. They're not going to get it, but here's the deal where I'll start with you on this whole subject. God gets it perfectly. Can I hear an amen? We may not get it. No one else may get it, but God gets it, and he gets it perfectly, not partially, but perfectly. So a couple thoughts in this, on this whole idea. When you find yourself having these thoughts, you're listening to these thoughts that would say, God does not speak. God does not see. God does not know. God does not understand. God does not care. When those thoughts, you begin listening to those kinds of thoughts, I'll say to you, my beloved brethren in the Lord, You must throw that false God out of your mind. That is not true. God does speak. God does see. God does know. God does understand. God does care. You must pulverize it. Grind it to a powder. Burn it. Whatever you need. And throw it in the ditch or sail it down the river. Because that is not not God. Do not limit the Holy One of Israel... By fashioning a God according to your own limitations and feelings. You must by faith not listen to those thoughts for very long. You must deal with them ruthlessly and immediately. Now Paul addresses this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 beginning in verse 3. He says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, I've said this before. Every time I read this verse, I have to say it again. I was going, I I asked someone, what is a stronghold? They said to me, it's a stronghold. I said, thank you very much. (laughs) What is a stronghold? It's something that has a hold of you. It's got a strength in your mind, and in this particular, the, the, the context, it's in this battle as to who God is. So the weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. He continues, casting down arguments. Now, have you argued with yourself in your mind? Well, God, I know God here, but maybe, you know, and, and these arguments, see, it's, it's in the mind. The battle is in the mind. What we're listening to. So casting out arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God. Where do we have the knowledge of God? In the Bible. 
So the things that we may know, and God gives wisdom to the mind, he puts into us, he's revealing himself to us through his word. This is who I am. Casting down argument, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And here it is again, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So in other words, I must retain the things that God has instructed me about obeying him. What it means, what truth is concerning what God expects. Who he is and why that's so. Then he says, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience once your obedience is fulfilled. So it's a battle for your mind, for my mind. And the only thing that overcomes disobedience is obedience. And when I then submit to the truth, I repent if need be, I begin to do what God's called me, then the other things are gone. That's how we get rid of strongholds. It's through obedience to who we know God is and what he's called us to do. Now, here's the deal. God gets it perfectly. God gets it because God took it all upon himself. God understands our plight. He understands what we go through. When Jesus came, he was tempted. He was hated. He was rejected. He was scorned. He was ridiculed. He was betrayed. He was tortured. He was crucified. And he was murdered. He gets it. In fact, Hebrews tells us, chapter 4, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points, all points, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus went through it all. So the next verse, he says this, Therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus gets it. Jesus wants to shower your life and my life in all the extremities and all the complexities with his mercy. In other words, not getting what we do deserve and with his grace showering us with what we don't deserve and yet he has for us. So come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. In time of need. He gets it. He wants to help us. Through these things. Jesus bore it all for us. On the cross. So Isaiah chapter 53. In verse 4 says this. Surely. He has borne our sorrows. And he has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken. Smitten by God. We didn't understand what was going on that was for us. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. If there's any question as to God's care and speaking. We need to look to the cross. It shouts out the mercy and the grace of God for us. He bore our griefs, our sorrows, our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He gets it. He bore it all that we might understand and get it. He cares. He loves us. 
He has a plan in place for us that goes into eternity and throughout eternity. Paul to the Corinthians put it this way. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God through him. Wow, what an exchange. He gets it. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Any question as to God's care, we need to look to the tree, the cross, where Jesus bore the curse. He reversed the curse of sin and redeemed us from all of it. 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just, Jesus, for the unjust, that's you and me, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Listen, God gets it perfectly. And he wants us to get it and understand it and take it into our hearts. He gets it all perfectly. Secondly, listen. Listen to people knowing that God is listening too. People are going to say a lot of things. Can you hear an amen? When we're suffering, they, but not only people, but we do the same thing. So they're going to say a lot of things that are really dumb. Can you hear an amen? <laughs> that are proud and couched in pride. That, put, that are out of frustration. That are without thinking. That are said to win an argument. But we all do that. We've all done that. Here's the truth. Job would not be standing before Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, Elihu, or anyone else at the judgment. And not only that, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu would not be standing before Job at the judgment. They would all, without exception, Stand before God to give an account of their lives. And Jesus said, including every idle word. That's in, in Matthew 12, 36. And listen, so will you and I. So I need not worry about them or be struck. But I need to realize, hey, listen to people knowing that God is listening too. He's listening to all of it. To condemn us? No. To change us. That we take ownership of our own need for him to work in our lives. And let's not forget also these things as we're working through our own stuff. That Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu were not Job's enemies. Now sometimes it feels like that in situations where there's a lot of stress and tension and suffering. Things being said, it feels like they're any, but they were his friends. Now, uh, granted, they were miserable comforters, but how many of you have been a miserable comforter sometime in our friendship? I think there's a sincerity here that we can see, a desire to help Job, and there are a lot of things that, be, that amped up through the whole thing, but they were his friends. They were not his enemies. And when it was all said and done, as we'll get in our last study, they would all be reconciled to God through repentance and the prayers of Job. And not only that, by the grace of God, they were reconciled to each other. And that's what God does. Through all the stuff, what God wants to do is reconcile us to himself through prayer and repentance, but then also reconcile our relationships to one another. So people, 
as you listen to people knowing that God's listening too and his desire in our hearts is to speak into them that we might experience reconciliation, forgiveness, and all these things. Now, we all say things we wish we hadn't said. We all, we've all said things that we had no idea someone was hearing it as they were. All of us. Hebrews chapter 12, this, is, this struck me several years ago when a team of us taught through Hebrews. I had never seen it in this context. But in Hebrews chapter 12, which actually is part of it's quoted from Job, not this passage, but right before it. In Hebrews 12, 11, it says this. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, it's never fun to be chastened. Can I hear an amen? It's painful. That's what he's saying. Don't despise the chastened Lord, but he's saying, hey, it's not fun. Never is. But if we will listen and learn, then it heals our lives. That's why God chases us, that we might be partakers of his holiness. There, he says, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that was, what, is what is lame may not be dislocated. So in other words, there's a time needed for healing. So when you tear your a ACL or your MCL or whatever it is and you bandage it all up, then you got to watch where you're walking and you got to make straight paths so that eventually it'll heal and then you can go for it again. Well, that depends on how old you are actually, but... So then he says, next verse, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people. You see, God's chastening often is in relationship. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. So as we're, people knowing that God is listening to, what God wants to do as we looked at, he wants to give us the grace of God to learn in the things that we go through in all the tensions and all the problems relationally. He says, don't fall short of the grace of God. Now, if we fall short of the grace of God for ourselves, yeah, we say dumb things, we do stupid things, we said things we wish we didn't say. If we fall short of the grace of God for ourselves, we will fall short of the grace of God for another person. Just the opposite. If we fall short of the grace of God for someone else, we're falling short of the grace of God for us. So he says, looking carefully, as any who falls short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up, and by this many become defiled. We need the grace of God knowing that God's listening and he's wanting us to know his grace in all of these difficult, difficult when people just don't get it. He wants us to know his grace is there for us so we don't become bitter. In fact, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is, what is, necess what is necessary for edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. So when we're saying things, Paul's telling the Ephesians, let, don't let nasty words come out, but say things that are building people up 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, evil intent. And here it is, be kind to one another. Tender hearted. And here's the thing that is the most difficult. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ also forgave you. Now, <laughs> I don't want to forgive them, God. I mean, do you know what they said to me? And that's just natural. That's a part of it. But what Paul's telling us is for our freedom and reconciling of our relationships. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one as, and our example is as Christ has forgiven us. He says the same similar thing to the Colossians. Therefore, Colossians 3.12, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Forgiveness. Essential to what people are hearing from us. Essential to what we need to hear also from others. I forgive you. Now, Jesus put it very simply, but no less difficult. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. He goes on, verse 26, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Why? Because unforgiveness is sin. So I am wrestling with that even as I read it. I hope you are wrestling with that also. Someone may need to hear from you, I'm sorry. You may need to say someone, to someone else, I'm sorry. May we do it knowing that God's listening too. He knows. So in Job chapter 32, as we look at this, first of all, we have his ancestry, where he came from. And interesting, but Elihu and Job are actually related now, whenever you get into familial <laughs> tensions, they always seem amplified when it's someone that's related to you in this whole idea of listening to each other. It goes into Elihu's anger. Look at verse 2. Then the wrath of Elihu was aroused against Job. It was aroused against his friends. And then in verse 5, when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these, of these three men, his wrath was aroused. He was fighting mad. Now, you never get mad, do you? Of course we do. It happens the same for us. Anger surfaces. It happens. He's mad at Job because he justified himself rather than God. Elihu's mad at his friends because they had found no answer and yet condemned Job. So in a sense, he's condemning Job and he's, he's mad at them for condemning Job. I mean, it's just like, there you have it. As he's listening silently, the anger's building He's getting more and more angry. Ang anger is an unreliable God, guide. And left undisciplined can become a guide that is no good. In other words, our anger must be being brought in submission to the power of the Holy Spirit. It must be disciplined as believers. 
Proverbs 14, 29 says, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. How many things have I done impulsively, reacting? But he's saying, hey, be slow to wrath and you'll gain understanding. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. And his glory is to overlook a transition, a trans, I was going to say transaction, a transgression, which can also be a transaction. Not a good one, but yeah. Listen to Proverbs 22 and take these things to heart. Listen. Proverbs 22, 24. Make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man do not go lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. You see, it must be discipline. You must understand, it, the anger itself is an emotion, so in a sense it's neutral, but what happens when we are angry is what matters. Has Elihu's age here? Verses 4, 5, and 8. Now, youth have a strong sense of justice. They see something clearly. They're ready to pounce all over it. And that's true. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's something that we who are aged think back on. Say, There's a, there's a zeal there for what's right, what's just. And they see it. And there's a big justice movement even among our youth. Now, here's what I would say. The aged, that's me and some of you, I think we need the strength of that, what I would call meddling. They want to get involved. They want to deal with it. But to the youth, I would say, you need the strength of the aged so that you'll mellow out. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> In other words, anger is good. Zeal is good. But we want it to be tempered with the experience of understanding how do we handle it? How do we discipline? What should we say? Should I wait to talk? Should I wait to say something? Or wait to take action? So as a, as, a, as a youth. Now, there are three things about his approach. Again, this is all listening to people. First of all, he showed respect for these three men. This man, Elihu. He, and I, I really, you look at him, and really he seems like he's got a, a depth of character. He showed respect for these three men. So the question I ask myself, do I? As I'm listening to people, knowing that God, do I show respect for them? Did I? Are there times? And do I? Secondly, he was a good listener. Am I? Are you? He was a good listener. He waited. It says verse 11, chapter 32. I waited for your words. I listened to your reasoning while you searched out what to say. I paid, a close, I paid close attention to you, and sure not one of you convinced Job. So he's saying, I listen. I know exactly what you're saying. Been listening to it thoroughly. I find something, a little side note here. Again, another fascinating thing in studying the book of Job, that Elihu is the only one in all the conversations, all the debates, except God, chapter 42, only Elihu actually called Job and used his name. He said Job three times directly, six times indirectly to the other ones. Listen, knowing a person's name is powerful in listening to one another. Now, one of the problems I have is somebody tell me the name and I forget it immediately. How about you never do that, do you? Yeah. Hey, listen and get their name. You know what? You could be in a crowded mall. And you're walking by and you hear 
Kevin. Whoa. It's like your name is such a powerful thing that gets your attention. So knowing someone's name, and I thought that's an interesting thing in this whole thing, listening to people, knowing God's listening, but hey, do you know their name? Have you learned their name? Have you written it down? Whatever you need to do, let's get, let's get the name going here. Now, we spend our early school years learning to read and write, but hardly any time is spent developing the skill of listening. Couple that with the bombardments of social media all those distractions, it isn't surprising that there is a severe deficit of good listeners today. Any good conversation that we engage in, we're going to listen at least as much as we said something. That makes for a good conversation. So a good listener will let another person speak first by showing interest. A good listener will sincerely want to hear what the other person is saying. A good listener will intentionally confine his or her comments while listening. A good listener will not interrupt a person's thoughts, but will carry through to the end, listen to it fully. In other words, a good listener isn't completing the other person's sentences. Can you hear an amen? You do it all the time, and so do I. They go, uh, 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 and you want to, you want, you know, you're, would you get it out? <laughs> so you finish their sentence for them, and you find out, no, that's not what I was talking about at all. Oh, well, sorry about that. There is, none, there is none so deaf as one who will not listen. May God help us to be listeners. Open our ears up and really give ourselves to listening to people. Two psychiatrists worked in the same downtown building. One was well over 70 years old while the other was so new to the profession that he was just starting to build his practice to a respectable size. Often, these two psychiatrists shared the elevator at the close of the day. The young man was always tired and agitated. The older man appeared fresh and happy. So one day, the young doctor said, how can you be so relaxed after listening to everyone's problems all day long? To which the senior psychiatrist replied, so who listens? Okay, did you get it? It's a joke, okay? A wise old owl lived in an oak. The more he saw, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard. Why can't we all be like that bird? (laughs) (laughs) Now, I have no doubt in my mind at all that the greatest impact Job's friends had in his life in all this suffering was in the first seven days. When we read in Job chapter 2, when they And when they raised their eyes from afar, did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. The most powerful thing we have in relationships and reconciliation many times is silence. And I don't even think we know it many times just to sit and wait and be there and take it in. So listen to people knowing that God is listening to. He showed respect. He was a good listener, and he waited before he spoke. And when he spoke, he wasn't afraid to express his opinions. Now, know this about opinions, and he says it several times. I'm going to tell you my opinion. I'm going to declare my opinion. I'm going to tell you what I think. Opinions are like noses. Everyone has one. But here's the deal. 
Opinions can be respected because they're just opinions. They're what I think. They're what I'm, what I'm, I want to tell you what I think. And we should be very willing to listen to people's opinions. We may not agree with them. We may, now hold on a second. But opinions are, in a sense, neutral. It's just what I think about the situation. Now, I could be dead wrong about it, and many times I am. Romans 12, 16 says, Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinions. In other words, don't think your opinion is always right. Leonardo da Vinci said this, the greatest deception which man incurs proceeds from their opinions. John Calvin put it this way. Inquire not what are the opinions of anyone, but inquire what is the truth. That's what we want to decide here. And that's what they're wrestling through in the whole book of Job. What is the truth? Now God's going to come and settle that question. You see, those who never retract their opinions, never do that love themselves more than they love the truth because we're all wrong in our opinions at one time or another. The final thing I find here is he wanted to be fair. He never wanted to flatter, verses 21 and 22. So his approach in this whole thing, he never wanted to flatter people. He wanted to be fair. And flattery is a trap that we find in Proverbs mentioned eight times. And the interesting thing about it is that four times it's a warning to men. So half of the eight times in Proverbs talking about flattery is a warning to you, my brothers in the Lord, to you men that are listening. He says, beware of who you're listening to, men. It goes something like this, Proverbs 6.23. For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light, reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor her allure, allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Beware of flattery, men. Now, that woman that's not your wife and you shouldn't even be listening, as she's saying, oh, you're so wonderful. The only reason she thinks that is because she hasn't lived with you. <laughs> and you know, when you're going through tough times in your marriage, and some woman who's not your wife is, you know, oh, and all of a sudden, you begin putting your treasures into her heart, and where your treasure is there will your heart be also. You begin sharing things. Brothers and sisters, brothers in the Lord, please, I plead with you. Half of the time flattery is talked about, it's when you're listening to something you shouldn't be listening to. And in fact, you got to beware of flattering yourself. You listen to it and say, oh, yeah, I'm, not, I'm such a nice guy. Hey, that's dangerous. Can I hear an amen? So he, he doesn't want to flatter anyone. Now, here's the final thought I have for you from these. Listen to people knowing that God is speaking to. God is speaking to us all the time. Again, we'll be looking at God's hiddenness in, in, in the, further, the next couple studies. But God's speaking all the time. 
So here's Job listening to the same old, same old from Eliphaz, from Zophar, from Bildad, and now Elihu. And it's the same theology with Elihu. Job, you, are, you must have sinned because God's just and he's punishing you. And it's the same theology, same old, same old as it's been the whole time. So I'm not going to go into all those things in these chapters. They're just again and again. And Job's hearing the same thing, the same thing all over. And finally, Job says, I'm done talking. I'm done. And so Elihu picks up his monologue from that. So in the next five chapters of Elihu, God is speaking about himself. And we can miss and not hear these things about God that he wants to tell us over. In fact, God repeats himself all the time. He's always saying, now, do you remember this about me? And, he, and, he, and even Peter said, I'm going to tell you again and again because you need to remember these things. And what Peter's saying, I'm going to tell you what, the, what God says in his word. That's what he says. I'm going to remind you again and again. And we need to be reminded about who God is. And we can hear him speaking to us no matter what the chatter is, no matter what the frustrations are. God is wanting to continue to remind us about who he is, not who they are. So, you know, it's just like parents. You know, you tell your kids something a million times. And they don't hear it. They don't hear it. They're not listening. They don't hear it. And then they come home and say, you know what, you know what he said tonight at that youth group? Whoa, I, I've told you that a million times. And that's why God repeats himself because we're hard of hearing many times. And so, so I might go, oh, man. But what I should say is, right on, you got it? God spoke to you. That's fantastic. So, as Elihu's saying, listen to me, God's saying, I'm speaking too. So let's just look at it. And there are eight of them I'll just pull out very simply. Look at chapter 33, verse 12. God is greater than man. That's number one. God's greater than man. I say, yes. Now, Job had said in chapter 9, he is not a man. That I can find him. And he says, nor is there any mediator between us. So he's not a man. Job says he's not a man. I need a mediator between me and God. Look at verse, in chapter 33 and verse 24. God is gracious to man. He's not a man, but he's gracious to man. Look at verse 24. Then he is gracious to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Verse 28, he redeemed his soul from going down to the pit and his life shall see the light. Behold, God works all these things twice, in fact, three times with a man to bring back his soul from the pit that he may be enlightened with the light of life. Listen, this is what God did. He's not a man, but he became a man. And in so doing, he became our mediator. He became our ransom. He became our redeemer, and we need to bring that to the surface all, to hear again, say again, listen, God is our ransom. He paid it. Jesus paid it all. He is our redeemer. He came to purchase our salvation. He is our mediator between God and men. There's only one. It's him. And that's what God is saying to us this morning. In all the, all the chatter, all the distraction, God is gracious to you all the time. Third one, chapter 34, verse 
4, verse 19. He is partial. He is not partial to princes. We can be very thankful. He is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. God is not partial. Now, why is that so exciting? Listen, James. He says, my brethren, chapter 2, verse 1, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a man in filthy clothes. You got the picture? And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, now you stand there or sit at my footstool. You get the picture? Showing partiality. He says, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? God is not partial. James continues, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, to become heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? God did not choose us because we had a bank account that had a lot of money in it. He didn't choose us because we had some mansion up on the hill. He chose us because he loves us and for no other reason that we gave to him. He redeemed us by the blood of the lamb. He loves us. And if he showed partiality and it was based on something, how many of us would never know him? But Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He chose the poor, rich in faith, to become heirs. Look at chapter 34, verse, or 36, verse 5, number 4 on the list. Behold, God is mighty, but despises no one. He is mighty in strength of understanding. Number five, chapter 36, verse 22. Behold, God is exalted by his power. Who teaches him? Number six, chapter 36, verse 26. Behold, God is great. Now, I read that and I say that's an understatement. God is great. I thought of Ephesians chapter 2. He made us alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together in Christ because he loves us. He's great in love. And Ephesians goes on to talk about that. Hebrews says we have a great high priest. Hebrews also says he is the great shepherd of the sheep. God is great. And he wants to, us to hear that over and over and over again. Are we listening as he speaks? Chapter 37, verse 22. He comes from the north as golden splendor with God is awesome majesty. God is awesome in majesty. Chapter 37, again, verse 23. As the, and as for the Almighty, we cannot find him. He is excellent in power, in judgment, abundant justice. He does not oppress. So that's just a few that I pulled out. See, Knowing that God is speaking too. He wants to remind us again all, all about himself. So as we're listening and hearing, may God speak to our hearts about his majesty and power, his excellent name, that he is majestic in all he does. That, as Jude, I'll close with this, Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to present you before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Would you say amen to that? Would you bow your heads, my brothers, and pray right now? Because I want to give an opportunity for you who are here, who, might, who are here this morning. You don't know Jesus yet. You don't know even a beginning understanding of his power, his love for you, his care for you, because you've never come and unloaded your sin where God paid the price by confessing your sin and saying, I'm a sinner, God. I don't deserve the least of your mercy, but I come because you have provided for me to have my sins forgiven by putting your son on the cross. He bore my sin. He bore my transgressions. And so as you are thinking this through right now, we know there's a battle that goes on and has gone on for you if you've not yet said yes to Jesus Christ and received forgiveness. We understand that. That's why we're praying. It's a spiritual battle for your soul. You can't give anything in exchange for your soul. You can come to Christ and exchange all your sinfulness, all your crimes for all of his forgiveness and righteousness that Jesus accomplished on the cross for you. So I'm going to ask you to begin by just, if that's you and you say, I, I need to get right with Jesus. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want my sins forgiven. I want to know I'm right with God today. I want to walk out of here knowing that my eternal destiny has now been secured because I repented of my sin and I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you, just raise up your hand and keep it up as we're praying. We want to acknowledge that and say, by you saying, I want to say yes to Jesus. So just as we're praying, just for another moment, I, it's the most important decision you'll ever make. It's the decision between heaven and hell and life and death. That's what it is. That's what hinges on this. And Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. In other words, Jesus is the only one who can give you access into the forgiveness, mercy, and grace of God. And it's through your confessing him as Lord, as Lord and Savior. So again, just another moment. If that's you, just put, would you put your hand up and keep it up so I don't miss it? We want to see, be a part of God bringing you to eternal life today. We're going to close our service a little differently as we did a little bit last week. But this week, there's a song that Sophia is going to sing, which is awesome. And I just would like us to, again, just take it in and just bring our hearts and just listening to God again through the words of this song and maybe some of the things that he's spoken to us. And then what I want to do after is I want to, I'm going to come up and I just want us to read Psalm 23 together because it's such a great song. The Lord is my shepherd. Say, so let's do this.